Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Mr. Craigers, and I am going to be one of your hosts tonight. And I am Miss Melmoy, and I am the other host. And tonight, uh, we are talking about the buzziest horror movie. The most fucked up film of 2018. <laughs> fucked up film of 2018. It's on everybody's lips, whether they've seen it or not, whether they're going to see it or whether they have no desire to see it, whether they loved it or whether they hated it. Everybody, everywhere is talking about Hereditary. <laughs> and we're going to do the same. Oh, this is episode uh, 45, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> In case you were counting. Yes, our second of three episodes coming at you in June. Mm. Hope everybody's Pride Month is going well. This one has nothing to do with Pride. This one has nothing. Well, well, you could rope it in. We could spin it if we spoil some things. Well, I we're going to have to. Yeah, it's really hard and to talk about. There's going to be a certain now. point where we can't not. So hopefully you've seen this already or perhaps you're using it as your... Um, primer to see if you want to see it maybe you're one of those people who feels better when you know the spooks um that's true there's a lot that's of what jamie i talked to her about it because she's like i'm gonna see it eventually but tell me where everything's scary I was like, you don't have <laughs> the, the problem time. is you want to know where everything scary happens it's called from the opening credits to the closing credits yeah <laughs> so have fun hey um, have fun with that so yeah we're gonna do that um do we want to do We've got horror headlines, but do we want to do our correspondence that we received oh, yes. at the top of the episode? I literally just forgot, even though... <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay. Even though ten minutes ago. Lindsay, right? So, it Lindsay? It's, yes. yes. Very exciting. We um, realized today that Belatedly. we had an email from a listener... And I will, I'll start off by apologizing. I'm sorry. Um, I see that this email was sent uh, a good while ago. Um, we just don't frequently check the... We will now. <laughs> out of yeah, we will now. Um, it's all very exciting. So this is from Lindsay. And it says... Hold on. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Does not say hold on. Did I X out of Gmail? Technical difficulties. Do you have it up? Oh, no, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> I have like a thousand tabs open right now. Okay, right this, so now. this is from Lindsay. And it says, hi, Splatter Chatter. That's hi. us. That's us. <laughs> that me. My, my name is Lindsay. Hey. And I have two questions for you. Yes. I love werewolf movies. That is not a question. <laughs> Some of my favorites. I love werewolf movies? Werewolf movies? <laughs> With the upward inflection. With the upward inflection. Tell us Some of my favorites are Ginger Snaps, Ginger Snaps 2, Teen Wolf, Underworld, Underworld 2, Underworld 3, Cursed. I'm really glad that you've seen Cursed. And Red Riding Hood. Do you have other werewolf movies that I could watch? My second question is, if you could have a remake of a horror movie, what would it be and why? Mine would be Ginger Snaps. Great email, Lindsay. Very excited. Glad to hear from you. Mm -hmm. 
werewolf movies. I love that you're into this subgenre. That's you kind are of, actually a little bit into werewolf. I do love a good werewolf movie. And what I'm going to recommend to you, Lindsay, I didn't see it on your list of favorites. You might have already seen it, but if you haven't and you want to call yourself a werewolf fan, um, you need to see an American werewolf in I London. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say anything in case, like, you were like, oh, my God, no, that's not what I was going to recommend. <laughs> but, yeah. But am I correct or am I correct? No, you're correct. Mm-hmm. No, um, you are. It's a very big, important um, film for this particular subgenre, primarily because of the amazing uh, special effects. This movie is actually why they added a special effects uh, category at the Oscars, um, because they were... They were that impressive. So that's my recommendation in terms of when it comes to werewolf movies that you should check out. So I am not huge on the werewolf. Um, just like not even on purpose. I just have not seen. Like basically everything you've named is all the werewolf movies I've seen. I can think of one thing to recommend, but if I recommended it, it would be a spoiler. Ooh. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's a... Um, Wait, it is no way to do this without. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what to do <laughs> because I could say, you know, and you know, werewolves feature in this film, but saying that would spoil the fact that werewolves feature in the film. Yeah. Um, it okay. came out in 2007 as a hint. Uh, so, you know, look at every single film in 2007, direct to film, direct to video. Are you there? Are you with me? I gotcha. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. That would have been my recommendation. Yeah. yeah. So um, I can be of absolutely no assistance. Ah, uh, werewolf films, werewolf films. Well, always good to um, find out where the everything began. Like, go back to the roots and watch the original Wolfman from 1941. Um, it's not exactly going to be, like, what you might like about Teen Wolf, but... <laughs> um, Uh, Didn't Stephen King have one? Uh, Silver Bullet. There you go. Mm -hmm. Silver Bullet. Um, The Howling Mm. is a really great 80s werewolf movie. Um, Dog Soldiers is a really good werewolf movie, but it's really dark. And just based off of your list of favorite movies, I don't know that it's going to be the kind of werewolf movie you like. Um. Werewolf is not a super explored genre as of late. Um, yeah, there has. Like, if you compare it to something like vampires and everything that shows up on Supernatural, I feel like vamp- or werewolves haven't really been too too done recently. I mean, there's that 2010 no. remake of The Wolfman. Yeah, you could watch that, too, and compare and contrast. Um... I think those the ones I listed. Those are that's what I'm I'm thinking of right now. You already have a pretty good repertoire of werewolf films yeah. in your arsenal. So you do, and I'm sure you. if if you're that into them, you've probably heard of some of the ones that that we've mentioned. Um, let us know if you've already seen them. Let us know if you haven't, and you watch some of them or all of them. If you like them, if you don't like them, um, I can recommend you a werewolf book if you're if you want to pick up uh it's a bit of a hefty book um is it 
It is. But, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Red Moon. Red Moon, yeah. <laughs> yes. By a name I can't remember, and it's on my bookshelf very far away. Um, but Red Moon is this great um, novel. It is by... Um, Benjamin Percy. Ha um, so Red Moon is basically um, about a world where just va- vampires, Jesus, werewolves are a thing. Like some people are just werewolves, lichens, um, and that's just what they are. And it's kind of basically used as a um, uh, an analog for like modern day Islamophobia. Um, because basically there's all these, the the opening scene is this werewolf attack on a plane and basically the country kind of reacts and has this great outcry against the lichen population and our, there's a couple of main characters, but our big one is this girl that we follow who's a lichen, who's basically running from the army, um, after they like bust down her door and demand that she be basically sent to like a um internment camp and it's just really good if you if you like werewolves and want to get like sort of deeper into like the cultural meanings that can be applied to them it's pretty good um as far as like your current um tastes in werewolf movies this is somewhat on par the characters are like in their late teens um so it's just a really great read. It's a really deep read. Um, and it's I have a great that book, but I haven't read it yet. It's and very I, good. I wanted to for a long time. Uh, it's a great piece of werewolf fiction. So there. Yeah. That's my actual helpful recommendation. Besides, I got one, but I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> I, you also made me think of talking about that um, Hemlock Grove. Yes. The novel and the TV show. There you go. I've read the novel. I've not watched the Netflix show, but that's about... Um, werewolves it's kind of it's just like it's like a murder mystery with werewolves and then like kind of some other supernatural things are happening there too um and you could also read cycle of the werewolf which is um the stephen king short novel that silver bullet it was adapted into silver bullet so there you go that's that's werewolves for you yeah um as to your second question, which is a very good question, if you, we, could have a remake of a horror movie, what would it be and why? I can think of mine. What's yours? I would remake um, the original Phantom of the Opera. Ooh. Yeah. The Lon Chaney one. hmm Ooh. And I guess it's kind of silly, but why? <laughs> <laughs> um, because... I mean, as per our Phantom 30th, like, there's been a lot of film adaptations, but none of them have been, like, incredibly faithful the way that that one has been to the the, the, the mystery and the erythral feel of the original novel and just the confusing, uncomfortable mishmash of, of things that go on in that novel and the way that it kind of portrays itself as non-fiction and the way it kind of has created an urban legend and all this other stuff like nothing every everyone takes bits of it and like focuses on this one bit of phantom and turns it into their focus for their adaptation um but they never take like the 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 heart and soul as it were oh the heart and soul of phantom 
Do you think that's because like they're intimidated by like tackling? Um, yeah, all the phantoms. I think that's possible. That you know, because I would be too. Um, but also, would I also not be the person to be like, I could fucking do this, and you're all gonna watch it and love it? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> but um, I also think it's just because you know it's 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 something at this point that is so culturally like. Um, pervasive that you know people can take one bit of it and and turn it into their own thing and still capture that sort of like cult following because people will always you know people who like fandom will tend to go see any sort of adaptation even if it's terrible so yeah. it's like they can kind of use it as a springboard for their their own ideas and their own things they want to say which is fine um you know reinventing it in various ways but i would like to see a uh traditional um faithful adaptation remake of the Lon Chaney version. Nice. Yeah. What about you? This is a, yeah. <laughs> this is tough. I kind of like, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of cheating, but when you were talking about Phantom, I was like, ooh, I would love to like see a remake of like a really dark, gritty Jekyll and Hyde. Ooh, there you go. Um, but I know that those mm. are like in a very similar vein. I thought of another one when you said um, that. Um. So I'm like looking at my <laughs> shelf. <laughs> so you turn to look at your shelf. Well, you're thinking about that. I would also I like can, to see. Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I would also like to see a really good adaptation of Frankenstein. Like not a shitty one. Mm. Um, I was, I think a remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night could get, could be really interesting if they upgraded it, um, get some, you know, people are, seem to be having a lot of fun with holiday horror recently, like sure. sort of on the indie horror circuit, um, with Krampus and Holidays and, um, that one from last year that I can't remember, um, and, I mean, I don't know. A part of the appeal of Silent Night, Deadly Night is, is that 80s camp. But yeah. I don't I think it could be a decent remake. We can do mid-2000s cynical camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Or maybe like a Lucio Fulci film. Because okay. no one... Like, ever, and no one has ever adapted any of his... Like, no one has ever Americanized any of his movies. Not that they necessarily need to be, but, like, be imagine, though. like, an American version of House by the Cemetery. Yeah. That would be really, that would be good. And, so. you know, in times, you know, it, it has proved in the right hands Americanization of movies, especially horror movies, can turn out pretty They can. Pretty good. The Ring. The Ring. Um, Let the right one in. I don't have a huge, Yeah. I don't have a huge or let me feeling one way or the other about which version of The Grudge is better, but the American version has a huge following. Um, so we don't always fuck it up. Yeah. Sometimes, but always. Yeah. So there you go. Oh! oh. Also, actually, you know what? <laughs> I know it's kind of sacrilegious to touch his movies, but maybe The Birds. Interesting. You know, and it's interesting you say that because I... Like, I read the short story, and to me, the short story is so much scarier than the movie. It's scary. Um, mm -hmm. And I would like to see somebody tackle it maybe a little bit from that angle. 
Yeah. Like the more isolated. Yes. Like incidents and that sort of thing. I, I think that would be really cool. That could be good. And especially because um, isolationist horror is really in right now yeah. with, uh, you, you know, the witch and um, it comes at night and these, you know, recent horror hits where that it involves people being sort of like secluded or trapped. Yeah, that could, that could work. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Lindsay, so much for your email. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get to it at the time of the last recording, and I hope you're satisfied with our recommendations and our answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and please get back in touch with us and yeah. let us know. This time we'll respond in sooner than 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> but um, next up, we've got a great horror headline. Yeah. Would you like to do the honors? Horror headlines. So... On Friday? What's today? Friday. They released the the trailer for the trailer on Thursday. The trailer? Okay, so yes. So on Friday morning, Mm -hmm. mid-morning, I think it was closer to noon, um, Bloomhouse and Miramax finally dropped the trailer for the long-awaited Halloween sequel. Yeah. It is not a remake. It is not a reboot. It is not a re-anything. It is a direct sequel sequel. to the original 1978 film um, 40 years later. (laughs) Yeah. And it's confused a lot of people. I've had to clarify a lot of things on Facebook. It has confused a lot of people. Um, We've talked about uh, the new Halloween movie a couple times in horror headlines or just in passing. Um, and I think it's safe to say that we were apprehensive about what it was going to look like or be like. I mean, of course, it's good news that Jamie Lee Curtis was involved, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'll just speak for myself and then you know you can. I thought the trailer was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you? I did. I did. And my favorite bit that I know was a good reactionary bit for you is when that chick is like, um, yeah, like he was your brother, right? And she goes like, no, that's just something people made up. I died. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, the whole thing is just that entire opening sequence where they go to the jail, the weird Uh, fucking uh. labyrinth jail. And for some reason, the psychologist thinks it's a good idea to hand Michael his mask. Right! And I was like, you're a fucking idiot. And I was like, you're a fucking idiot, or you're, like, in on it. And I can't tell, like, which is worse. Mm-hmm. So. It, it looks so good, though. And even though they are eschewing, like, all of the sequels, all of them, and Rob Zombie's two reboots, mm-hmm. um... Uh, you could even you could even just tell in the trailer like there's so many references to the sequel. Like they're still sort of paying homage to yeah. everything, the other films that you know that paved the way. Um, like the the we see a little bit of the bathroom scene. Like that's definitely a callback to Halloween Six. Yeah, and you can see them. You even see if you pause it just right, you can see the three masks from Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. <laughs> Silver shamrock. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
it's gonna be good stuff i think yeah no i'm really hype and like i love seeing savage um savage laurie laurie oh my god for some reason i was trying to say like lewis and i was like nope that's not it yeah i love seeing savage laurie um i'm just i'm very this is like we were talking about like are they both gonna die is she gonna go is this gonna be the end for, like because i i think they're both gonna end up going and i had that thought too because i feel like <sighs> yeah i think mutually uh mutually assured destruction yeah, that's the one kind of how it's gonna end up with words. <laughs> yeah um Damn, it looks good. It looks good. I just, I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's way better than, than you were afraid it was going to be. Yeah, that, um, I'm sure they'll change it or not even include it. But the closet scene at the yeah. very end of Taylor. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, don't, don't, don't open it. She opened it. You know better than that. <laughs> yeah, no. The whole thing is, and I'm quite excited. Um, Michael Myers. Yeah. That's it's going to cool. be, it's going to be big, big topic of discussion on the show in, in October. Yes, it will. Um, yeah, no, I'm just like, this entire angle is just really like so great. And I'm just yeah. hype. And like when the music comes on at the end, I'm just like, oh, it's happening. Yeah. Last week was a huge week for trailers. It fucking um, was a huge week for trailers. We got the Halloween trailer. We had the trailer to the Suspiria remake, mm -hmm. which I also think looks awesome. Yeah. And um, Hathaway's got quite the... Uh, that's not Anne Hathaway. What am I saying? That was also, though... Or was that? I'm trying oh, to remember. I, there were so many Kennedy? trailers with... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, her movie with Matthew McConaughey. That's the one. Serenity. Yeah. Yes. Serenity. I knew it had an S in it. Uh-huh. They also dropped there's the trailer for the sequel to Unfriended. Unfriended. Uh, Dark Web came out last week. Um, there was another trailer, but I don't remember. There was non-horror trailers that came out. Not not horror, and there's another and big... Dragon. <laughs> there's another horror trailer coming out this week. Um, The Nun. The Nun, yes. Yeah, on so, Wednesday. It's trailer season, y'all. It is. It's good uh, times. And it's good times. And it's very exciting. It is. Um, other things going on in horror headlines. Um, something about American Horror Story Season 8 I saw today. Um, apparently the subtitle is Radioactive. Okay. Take okay. that for what you will. <laughs> For you fans of AHS. If there are any left. If there are any left. And, uh, um. I think that's it. Yeah. That's, that's all I can think of at the moment. So, um, we are going to now move into the main segment mm -hmm. of, uh, the episode, which is our discussion on hereditary. Yep. Um, let us 
So spoilers from here on out. And by yeah, spoilers, that's... I mean this movie takes a really massive turn like a half hour in. <laughs> yeah. Um that like the trailers and the entire um sort of structure of the film like purposely like mislead you up until the last second and then you're like, "Oh yes. my god." <laughs> so... Yes. Oh, we should let's take a listen to the trailer, shall we? All right. Come on, Peter. There's your suit. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's Grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God! She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. And she wasn't all together there. At the end. stress on my family. Okay. That was scary. So, <laughs> yeah, it was scary, 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 scary. So, Miss Mel, would you be kind enough, now going off of that, based off of what everyone thought mm-hmm. going into this movie, what's like a quick like 30-second synopsis? Like a real synopsis, not like a... Like no, a, like, uh, what did we think it was going to be? Oh, kinda. so yeah. So going in, you're thinking, Grandma's up to some stuff. Millie Shapiro is up to some stuff. It's going to be creepy, you know, kind of like, um, you know, a lot like The Exorcist, where you've got this helpless mom who doesn't know what to do because her daughter's like, fucked up and you know the family's getting you know tormented by this spirit of grandma like you you know that was my interpretation yeah going in (laughs) and then (laughs) so the movie starts with the funeral of grandma funeral of grandma she's Um, gone yeah and this movie is so laced throughout in hindsight with so many like Easter eggs and hints to what's really going on um, that like part of it, I guess, does require a little bit of a second watch just to be like, oh, my God. 
Um, because it's interesting because the entire movie like basically tells you the entire time exactly what's happening, but like your brain is thinking horror movie tropes. I know what's yep. ha really happening. I'm so smart. I'm blah blah blah. And I'm your seasoned viewer. Da 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 da. And Ari Aster knows this about yeah. you and is like, well. I'm going to do the opposite of everything well, you think I'm going to do. let me just real quick um, <laughs> try this instead. Yeah. So we open with Grandma's funeral. She is past um, Tony Collette's character is... Al? Allie? Tony Annie. Annie. character is Annie. Annie. Allie uh -huh. is the Annie, August Annie character Graham. in A Star is Born. <laughs> um, Annie is giving her eulogy... Um, she like talks about like it's a weirdly like passive aggressive eulogy because she talks about how her mom had secrets and she was just kind of a, a they basically we learned that they were kind of estranged um yeah. at the time that her mom passed away is what we learn after this funeral um annie has the very strange job of making miniature scale models of things for yeah for art exhibits yeah which you know lends itself to this whole tonal thing of they're all puppets because we start out looking at her her models and then we zoom in on a model and it becomes this setting of the first scene which is peter's bedroom so it's annie um played by tony collette her husband which Steve. is such a great way to frame the story yeah right that yeah. And, and you can read a lot into that i think yeah um, and it reminded me immediately of Nightmare on Street 4, <laughs> Dream Warriors, which also Dream features a, a, it is bookended by a, um, dollhouse. But, um, so it's Annie. I played... watched that the other day. Did I tell you? How, have you seen it before? Is no, it Dream Warriors? Yeah. Of course. Okay. I'm just making sure. <laughs> I'm glad you I just, just voluntarily I just know it. it's your favorite. Mm-hmm. It was the first one I saw. Um, so, yeah, so it's... Just Arquette's in it. Yes. <laughs> um, it's Tony Collette plays Annie. Um, Gabriel Byrne plays her husband, Steve, mm -hmm. who sometimes has an Irish accent and sometimes doesn't hey! in the movie. Um, Adam Wolf, no, Alex Wolf Alex. plays, um, Peter, their oldest, who, and, like, only boy. And then Millie Shapiro plays, um, their daughter, Mm -hmm. uh charlie and then ann dowd plays um joan this buddy that Anne annie makes at um grief counseling and these are our main peeps um so yeah annie does that steven like i guess is just like her manager or something he like i don't know he, if he does anything he's um wait does it not come up? Isn't he a professor? Am I making that he up? He might be a professor. We see him in an office that's not in the house. He has, yeah. He has some kind of profession. At least I think it's not in the house. <laughs> that we, that we, that we, he does something. He contributes to this household in some way. Yeah. It's not super important to the um, story. But, Peter yeah. is like, you know, kind of your typical awkward, but, you know. With friends, teenage boy, he smokes pot under the bleachers, you know, yada yada. And then Charlie, their 13-year-old daughter, is very antisocial. Uh, she's got a pretty severe nut allergy. She likes to draw weird pictures, like kind of just your picture of this kid's about to become possessed. 
right? Yeah. And she makes, like, disturbing dolls out of weird um, things. items. Yeah. and She cuts the head off a bird. Things she point. collects. And... There's already a dead bird, but it was still, yeah, but still. pretty fucked up. <laughs> it's, not a gr- it's not a great sign yeah. in, in the youth. <laughs> um, but Charlie was Grandma's favorite. Um, Mm -hmm. according to mom and Charlie misses grandma quite a bit. And basically it's interesting because right off the bat, this movie like, you know, drops hints about supernatural elements, right? Because there's this great little bit where, um, Annie's going to leave her workshop. She turns the light off and she sees this really creepy image of her mom in the dark. And like, it's kind of lights outy because she turns the light back on and mom is gone. How fucking creepy though was yeah. that yeah because mom was just there smiling it was horrifying yeah um not good yeah and then later charlie has a vision of grandma in like fire in a field like some kind of weird thing so you're like okay something a little weird's going on a little bit <laughs> freaky a little freaky um but basically, that's the last sort of bit you get about supernatural stuff for a while, right? Because at that point, it kind of takes this pivot to talk about, like, the tension of the domestic home life. Yes. And... Yes. Because... <laughs> yes. Because Annie, um, secretly, uh, for strange reasons, she... Or, or the, secret, the secret the secret is, is a strange, strange yeah not secret, the act yeah the act yeah. is fine the fact that it's the secret is what's yes um, Annie secretly starts to attend a grief and loss uh, support group and um, during her her first session there she reveals the history of mental illness um, from her side of the family uh, to the to the group. Her father had um, very severe depression and ended up uh, um, locking himself in his room or the basement or something, and he starved himself to death. Uh, her brother suffered from schizophrenia and um, had a very fraught relationship with their mother and uh, threw all these wild accusations at her, that um, voices in his head she was trying to put people inside of his body and he um uh uh committed suicide he hanged himself i think she says yeah um and then uh, ellen herself uh annie's mother um suffered from did uh which is dissociative identity identity (laughs) words disorder um what was formerly known as multiple personality disorder. It's what Tony Collette's character in um, United States of Terror. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. That's what she had. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that gets revealed to us, and then we're kind of like, oh, okay. So you think you know where this is going, this right? Lens in which you start viewing the events of the story. And so shortly after this information is revealed to us, um, we see, you know, there's some tension um, going on between the different members of the family. Um, Annie and Charlie seem to have a kind of a tense relationship. Um, We get the sense, obviously, that uh, 
the death of her mother is affecting Annie more than she would care to admit. And, um, uh, she soon, um, when she learns that P- Peter's going to a party, he's going to, you know, a high school party and Annie tells him to take his sister with him. And they go to the party and Charlie's clearly uncomfortable being there. I mean, she's 13 and it's like, you know, like a proper high school party. So naturally you'd probably be pretty uncomfortable. Um, she just kind of wants to chill. Peter sort of wants to, uh, I don't want to say get rid of her, but he needs her to be like detached for a little bit while he tries and it's like, yeah, he's surprisingly like nice about the fact that he had to take his younger sister to like a party with weed and alcohol. Like, yeah, he's very, he's very nice about it. He's like, Oh, I'll be back in a minute. I promise we'll hang out and you know, you can draw and we'll just chat. We'll just chill. Um, but he does want a moment where he can smoke a little weed and and take a drink probably and, you know, try and get in good with his his lady friend that he's crushing on. So he, you know, he's like, oh, hey, like, but he wants to make sure that Charlie is okay. So he suggests that she have some cake while he's going away to Puff Puff. To Puff Puff. And how does that work out for her, Miss Mel? So we enter the scene, we see these girls are chopping nuts in the kitchen. So you know, you know, you've got your Chekhov's gun like that's, and we obviously know, we're like, oh my god, there's nuts in the cake. And I've been thinking about this a lot, because I was trying to think to myself, I was like, well, considering the earlier scene where she's eating a chocolate bar, and the dad is like, does that have nuts in it? And everyone's like, does it have nuts in it? You know, like, I would have thought that Charlie and her brother would have been more careful, like, maybe just from a, I don't know, a writing standpoint, but at the same time, it's like, you know... He was trying to get rid of her at a party. She was uncomfortable. You know, it checks out. So she eats the cake, immediately starts going into anaphylactic shock. Um, So this part really freaked me out because I have an allergy that causes me to go into anaphylactic shock. So this is like my worst nightmare. (laughs) It was very real. It was. And like, that's exactly how like the first time I ever reacted to this happened. I was at a party and essentially this is what happened and I had to get taken to the hospital and it was yeah. horrifying. Well, it, it didn't obviously happen to me the way it happened to Charlie, <laughs> the way everything turned out. So this was like really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Um, and you have the added um, anxiety of it all because it's a high school party, right? There's no adults. Yeah. And it, it you know, it's kids and, and they're, they're, they're being wild and there's alcohol and drugs and, no one's exactly in a mind space to be super responsible right now. Yeah. Um, so she goes to get her brother. He immediately realizes what has happened. Even though he's like super high, he, you know, he grabs her, runs her to the car, goes to drive her to the hospital. And he's like taking some back roads, it looks like, from what I can gather. He's like trying to take a shortcut because he's on these like sort of like barren back roads. Yeah. It also seems wherever they live, we don't get a clear setting. Wherever it's, they live is very secluded. Yeah. Oh, do they say Utah? They don't say Utah. I know it was filmed in Utah. Oh, okay. I was thinking like Colorado when I was watching it. I was like, it's something That's like that. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, it's very secluded, very mountainy, very rural, wherever it is the story is set. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. He, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're driving down the road and he's like going, he's like pushing 80. He's like, we're getting there. You know, she's like really having trouble breathing at this point. Um. He's like, we're, get, we're almost at the hospital. You'll be okay. 
and she puts down the window to try and get air. Like she sticks her head out of the window just to try and get some air. Um, and basically there's like some sort of deer or animal in the middle of the road and Peter there's swerves a- to miss it because, you know, there's a fucking deer in the road. And when he does this, he veers a little too close to a telephone pole and Charlie's head is out the window. They're going 80 miles an hour. She collides quite plainly with the telephone pole. And like this sequence is like so well done because you're like, oh, okay. Oh shit. Like she hit her head. And then you're like, wait a minute. And he stops. The car comes to a stop. There's this big wide shot of it. Just the car slowly coming to a stop. And Alex Wolf is just staring ahead for the longest time like gripping the steering wheel and just kind of staring ahead. He goes to look for a second in the rear view and then like puts his eyes away, decides he's not going to look. Um, and then just quietly drives back to the house. He gets to the house. He puts the car in park. He gets out of the car, goes inside and just lays down. Um, he's awake the entire night because the next morning we're on his face and he's just kind of staring into space in his bed and we hear Annie's like, oh, I'm going to run out to the grocery store real quick or something. She goes up to the car and about 10 seconds later, she just starts screaming. Um, and then it cuts to a shot of um, Charlie's head back on the highway. It's now being eaten by ants, basically. She was just instantly decapitated um, when she hit the um, telephone pole. The telephone pole. And you're like, okay. (laughs) Yep, and this is the great turn. Yeah. So Vulture did an article about this um, and how basically, because we go in thinking like this is going to be the girl we stick with. She's weird. She's kind of a loner. She's like got all the makings of, you know, a sympathetic horror, you know, protagonist who's about to get, you know, pazuzued and... Yeah, and also because she's she's weird and and weird things are happening. Oh, she was close with grandma. We know that weird shits happen with grandma, you know. And she's making these weird sounds and she's got her weird hobbies and she's real reclusive. She doesn't really talk to anybody at school. And then, bam! And then she's dead. Literally, bam! Half hour into the film, she dies. She gets her head cut off. Um, And you're like, oh... All right. Um, and you're like, this is a very different movie. So the, Vol- the Vulture article is basically talking about how Ari Aster like, made this scene. And I think this can speak for the entire film itself. But this scene, and I guess the entire film, was made for horror fans. Not in the sense that it was made for them. It was made specifically with them in mind to trick them. Because mm, Ari yeah. Aster knows what your assumption is going into this. He, like, designed it in such a way that you, you're the seasoned great horror viewer, would make this assumption and think you know what's going to happen because, oh, horror's so full of motifs and tropes that, you know, we all just, we know, right? I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit there and be the hipsters like, oh, I can see which way this movie's going. And then this happens. And then you're like, oh, my God, I have no idea which way this movie's going to (laughs) go. No. Um, I mean, you... You want to talk about like something being a wild ride? This, <laughs> this was a wild ride. Yeah. So the character that you have been following through most of the first half of the movie, you know, is now dead. Um, like not even Game of Thrones style, just like really f- 
fucked up style. And this is not the, this is only the first time that the movie is going to like kind of pull the rug out from under you because it's already set you up to think, you know, like you're thinking about the sort of like history of, of mental illness in Annie's family. And you're focused on that right now. So you're thinking, okay, like psychological horror. Now this has happened. Like, and you still think, you know, which way this movie is going to go. Like you can't watch this movie and not be like, okay, like pivot. This is what's going to happen. And then later that is going to once again, be turned around on you. But before that happens, yeah, some stuff happens in between. That's so, that's such a perfect way to like, Pivot. <laughs> Pivot, because the thing about this movie is that things seem normal, and then it's kind of like less normal, but maybe we can explain it away. And then it's like, oh, that's definitely not normal, but we can maybe still explain it. And then it's just like, I can't. Right, right. Here's this unexplained, <laughs> terrifying sequence of events. And you're like, oh, no. So so what happens after the funeral? Well, not even. Well, yeah, I guess there is a funeral that we see. Right. There's a bit of a funeral. Um, Oh, we forgot to mention Grandma's. blue coffin is the most heartbreaking thing in the world. It's terrible. Grandma's grave, by the way, was desecrated a couple days after. I forgot to mention. I said grave and I forgot. Her grave had been, like, vandalized. Yes. And Steve knows, but he doesn't tell Annie. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so, <laughs> moving on. Trucking along, everybody. Um, so, uh, Peter starts uh, hallucinating his sister's presence um, in his life and around the house, both um, uh, oral and auditory auditory uh hallucinations um it's played off or he plays it off for a while he he thinks he's just kind of freaking himself out right Mm -hmm. he's not only dealing with a lot of grief but he's dealing with a lot of guilt um at the same time annie goes back to the um grief and loss support group that she went to um to talk about her mother this time to talk about uh charlie but she can't quite bring herself to go in. However, before her car can pull out of the school parking lot or the church parking lot, wherever they're meeting, uh, she's flagged down by uh, a fellow member of the group, Joan, who Miss Mel mentioned at the beginning is played by uh, the great Ann Dowd. And Joan kind of is that um, older, middle-aged um endearing midwestern like kind of talking a mile a minute and she's, she's going to give you some cookies and candy yeah she's going to sort of warmly worm her way in into your life um with the bestest of intentions uh so she invites Annie over to her apartment um and they're they're chatting and Joan is encouraging Annie to open up about her grief and to talk about um, the loss of her mother and the loss of her daughter and her relationship with her husband and her her living child. And Annie reveals to us at this point that um, she used to sleepwalk. And she tells Joan I about... I used to sleepwalk. 
I, I, just I, saying. I, a couple times when I was younger. Um, I was a big sleep logger. My niece is now, too. It's like, a, I don't know. My sister used to do it a lot. I think it's more prominent in women than men. Um, what was I going to say? Sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. Oh, tell us about a specific time um, when uh, the children were younger and they were sharing a room. She, Annie was sleepwalking one night and woke herself up to discover she was in the children's room standing over the beds um, and she had covered them in paint thinner and herself, I believe too. Mm-hmm. She was woken up by striking a match um, that she had also brought in with her. Yeah. And you're like, so wow, what- Annie, important information. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> important information that I need to know. Oh, and, and, and the important detail that uh, striking the match not only woke herself up, but it woke up Peter as well. And so he saw her there and she, she was awake and, it, and, and we're like, oh, okay. And so clearly the relationship between Annie and Peter is a very complicated. Not as good as it could be. <laughs> and fraught one um, given this particular instance. Yeah, not as great as it could be. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we get a little more after that, of course, of um, Peter really not having a great handle on um, these strange experiences he's having. They're like part nightmare, part hallucination. He definitely is getting the sense that um, a presence is sort of surrounding him. Um, Annie is becoming increasingly... desperate yeah she does some Um, weird stuff with her her miniatures yeah her she's she's not um focused on the work that she's been commissioned to do instead she starts creating these miniature scenes of uh family life and perhaps most disturbingly of the accident um that resulted in charlie's death um it's obviously putting a strain on her relationship with uh, her husband <laughs> and uh, her her son. And there is this absolutely insane scene um, when the three of them are having dinner. Ooh. And because of Annie's prompting, she and Peter end up just unleashing on each other all of this sort of like pent up rage and anger and bitterness and guilt that they're feeling about themselves and each other and all just throwing it into this toxic mess over to some chicken and rice. (laughs) You know. And dad is just trying to, to play peacemaker and it does not work, but like, Oh my god, what a scene. Fucking Tony Collette. Just, yeah. She goddamn slayed. She did. It um, was dark in that kitchen. <laughs> it was. It was it was. God. And then um it's shortly after this that Annie once again runs into Joan, and Joan informs her 
that she has discovered a way to communicate with her uh, dead son and his son, her grandson. Mm -hmm. Um, The and that's why she was at the um, the grief and loss support group, and and evidently it's through doing just like a chill one or two person seance. Yeah. So she invites Andy back to her apartment. And then what happens? So this is where, you know, so up until this point, we've been thinking, okay, there's a lot of domestic tension, a lot of domestic breakdown. There's history of mental illness in this family. Um, We see at one point dad was popping pills too. So there's a lot going on and we're thinking, all right, that's informing a lot of what's happening. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of that. This is when the movie doubles down on that hint at the beginning of something kind of beyond your realm of of explanation happening. Because she goes to this seance at Jones. And they've got like almost like a makeshift, like weird little Ouija board type setup where they've got a glass and they both put their hands in the glass. And, you know, Joan says to the spirit to move the glass and the glass, like just straight up in front of all of our faces, just starts moving. And we're like, oh, that's okay. That's that's a bold strategy, Cotton. So Mm -hmm. the glass moves back and forth. And then eventually Joan takes out the chalkboard that belonged to her grandson and asks him to write a message. And it straight up writes the message, hi, grandma, in front of our faces. And obviously Annie freaks out. Um, You know, she's she's like, you know, she can't explain it. She's freaked out. Um, Joan gives her some information on the seance, tells her to go home, try it for herself, to talk to her daughter, gives her some instructions and sends her on her way. And eventually Annie does try. Like, she she can't sleep. She's been sleeping, like, in the treehouse where her daughter used to hang out a lot. So one night she decides to go into the bathroom and try the seance. And it, it works to the point that she... Well, I guess what wakes her up before this is actually important, right? She has this dream. We find out... The nightmare. Yeah, we find out later it was a dream. But she goes into her son's room and he wakes up. And they have this conversation where she says... It was great because, you know, you know, you don't know the entire time that it's a dream. And she says at one point, she just blurts out that she never wanted. She's like, I never wanted to have you. And then she like covers her mouth in shock. Yes. And like my entire theater, everyone was just like, oh, yo. Mine too. <laughs> everyone was just like, oh my God. Everyone was like, no. Um, everyone did what Tony Collette did. Yeah. Everyone was just like, oh my God. Everyone was like, yeah. And it, and didn't and that felt like so real because like we've all been in those moments I think where like you say something so hurtful to someone close to you and within a millisecond you regret it yeah and you're like oh, and she my does God. she tries to back up and she says basically she explains that she had tried to miscarry her son several times because her mother had pressured her into having him and she didn't she didn't think she was ready to have a baby but she got pregnant. Um, so she tried to miscarry in several ways, she said, um, mm-hmm. and nothing worked. And then she says, she's like, I'm so happy it didn't work. I'm so happy you're here. And she tries to like fix it. And, and Peter freaks out and starts crying and says, you tried to kill me. And it goes back and forth for a bit. And she eventually wakes up from this nightmare and decides she's going to go have her seance. So she does in the bathroom and it works to the point that she wakes up her son and her husband and says, you guys, and wants to show them. So she takes them downstairs and she goes to show them and it doesn't work quite as well at first. Like there's some movement, but they're both still a little bit like, all right, that was weird, but a lot of stuff's weird. And then 
the candle just like flames up real fast at one point and that's freaky and the Um, cabinet breaks the cabinet breaks but steve like isn't really having any of it and he thinks that she's freaking out their son um so you know eventually it, it, it doesn't come away with much but you know Annie believes. Well, we we do get the. Uh, oh, sorry. Well, no. Go ahead. It, we they're at the very end before they all sort of like break away from this thing. It appears as though Annie has possessed by Charlie. Yes. Yeah. So and she, it really yeah, it's very Peter. yeah it's really freaky. Um, you know, because she's speaking as Charlie and she's like, "Mom, Mom, where am I? Can you hear me? I don't know where I am." And Peter freaks out, and at that point is kind of when they. They break away and say, no, thank you. Um, (laughs) And some stuff starts to deteriorate. Basically, Annie starts to realize that these seances may not be what she thinks they are. Because she has this realization one day. Um, Because when she first goes to Joan, she notices the, the floor mat and says, like, oh, my mom used to make those for people, like, ones like those. And Joan's like, oh, that's cute. And, like, brushes it aside. Um, basically, w- what she comes to realize is that her mother knew Joan. Um, and that they were friends and they were part of some group together. And... You know, she was like, well, that's fucking weird. Um, And she starts to realize that basically what they were a part of was this cult. Because, of course, um, there was a cult to a demon called Paimon who's, like, listed in some demonic thing um, that someone wrote up in the the 1800s as one of the, I think it's eight kings of hell he's a king of hell yeah Yeah. he's just and it says in there i read like in the book that she reads he's like the the demon of mischief and amongst other things and basically he requires a male human host so she starts to freak out she goes to see joan joan's gone um can't get a hold of her but we as the audience see that in joan's house are charlie's weird artifacts that she had been making out of bird heads and toys mm-hmm. and things like that um sure. and a weird shrinish occultic thing um with peter's picture at the center yeah with his is that the one when his eyes are popped out there's one where his eyes are popped that's out. later um yeah so yeah we start to realize what's going on um and she's freaking out she realizes what's going on um, yeah. At which point we move back to Peter at school. Um, he's not having a great time. He's not having a great time. Um, it's the scene from the trailer, basically, where he sees a hallucination of himself in the reflection of like a cabinet at school and then smashes his face into his desk um, and is like sedated breaks or something. Breaks his nose, gets like sedated basically in the nurse's office and is sent home. Yeah. Um, at which point things escalate very much so so annie having sort of played detective she's playing detective and she's piecing together these things she's like all right bad shit's going on here i'm gonna try and take care of it so she takes charlie's sketchbook right the sketchbook charlie was always drawing in and using from before and this was this was the item um that Annie uses uh, uh, in the um, in the seance with her family. You had to have an item 
that meant something important to, to your deceased. And she's like, she's convinced that if she destroys the sketchbook, then, um, Charlie's malevolent spirit or whatever sinister thing has come into their lives will, you know, be gone. So she tries to burn the sketchbook and, um, discovers that as the sketchbook burns, so too does she. (laughs) She just catches on fire. Yeah. So she's like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, fishes it out of the fire before it can properly burn and so too do the flames on her arm uh, dissipate. And uh, she's like, well... What the fuck am I going to do about that? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, she makes her way into the attic um, during shortly after this chaos. Like, I can't remember why. I think she's like looking for more information or something or whatever. Yeah, some, for some reason she goes up into the attic. Whatever. Yeah, because she was looking at all these photo albums from her mom and that, you know, the connection to Joan and what have you. Yeah. And when she goes up into the attic, she finds a body that um, is chilling and earlier in the movie there was mentions of a weird smell in the house like once yeah and we just kind of like you clocked it and you're like whatever that's by the time you're like oh right they never did figure out what that smell oh yes and it's a body in in a state of fairly progressive decay um appears to be a woman's body it's missing its head Mm -hmm. and Annie and by extension the audience believes the body to be that of uh, her mother's Ellen mm-hmm. and not great so Annie's like I'm gonna lay all the cards on the table and she goes to um, Gabriel Byrne what's his Steve. name Steve she goes to Steve and she is like here's what I think is going on this is what I tried to do about the sketchbook it didn't work and here's why my mom's body is upstairs. Um, let's rock. Yeah. <laughs> and so Steve is kind of like Jesus Christ. Away. Most yeah, a lot. Jesus Christ, Andy. Um, probably behaving the way most of us would, and being like, "Oh my God, you're insane," and. What a great job he did, too, because, like, I thought he was really good at communicating that just, like, my family has completely fallen apart, and I can't I can't do anything to save it. Like, this person that I love is, is completely out of their mind. Yeah. But he trusts Annie still enough to um, verify, to fact check, essentially, to see those receipts. And he goes into the attic, and he's... There sure is a body up there. No, Jesus. But unfortunately, Steve thinks that it's Annie who has desecrated the grave and retrieved the body. Yeah. Which is not good. And this makes it very difficult for Annie to convince Steve to burn Charlie's um, notepad because... She wants she wants Steve to do it because she knows it has to be destroyed. Um, but she okay, it's apparently it's connected to me. If that happens, I'll die. You do it, like kill me. It's worth it to save the family. 
but this is where Steve draws the line. Um, and he doesn't do it. So Annie snatches the notepad out of his hands, throws it into the fire herself. And then what happens? And then Steve catches on fire, just right up in flames. (laughs) Immediately. Which we saw coming at this point, because we all saw the trailer. Like, that was in the trailer. Um, They they shouldn't have given that away. Yeah, that would have been a huge, like, a really big, (laughs) oh my god, moment out of all the other oh my god moments. But yeah, Steve Steve 100% catches on fire and dies immediately. (laughs) Dies immediately. Um, It's Roof Stoof. And <laughs> it is also roof stoof in a second as well. <laughs> hey, uh, um, so then we cut back to Peter. Who's Remember? been zonked out on pain medication zonked the entire out time. His, his unfortunate school episode. But then he's he wakes up. Um, the house is that horribly awful like state where it's just after like the sun has set and like no one has turned on lights in the house and like I hate I hate that yeah. kind of lighting. Turn it, fucking lights on in my goddamn house. It's just <laughs> scary. There's something I mean, that we like awesome. light in my home. Yeah. Um and so Peter in this like really tense sequence makes his way downstairs where he discovers his father's dead body and his mother's now possessed body, yeah. which is also equally horrifying. Yeah. I didn't notice her at first. Everyone was reacting in the theater, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck the fr- Oh my god! Because <laughs> I did not at first see her in the uh-huh. shot. Because because where was she in the shot, Miss Mel? She was up on the ceiling in the corner, just kind <laughs> of like <laughs> perched. And she yep. blended in so well that I did not see her until... Because everyone was like, oh, who? Like, everyone in the theater was reacting. I was like, what the fuck are they saying? Oh, my God, there she is. Oh, my God. Like, I, like, I, like, squirmed in my seat as soon as I saw her. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's up on the ceiling. She sure was up on the ceiling. And then... Cue horrifying chase sequence. Yeah, no, that was terrible, terrifying. Um... um. Ellen chases Peter through the house. Uh, Annie. Annie chases Peter through the house. Um, we're also getting glimpses at this point of butt-ass naked <laughs> old people <laughs> surrounding the house, just silently standing mm-hmm. in the yard and the trees, and chilling in the house. Yeah. Um, and so Peter flees up into the attic, it's a really like gut wrenching sequence where he's, you know, he's like, "Mommy, please stop!" Like, just yeah. kind of reverting to that like scared child. Like, and then there's this horrifying shot of her smashing her head against the uh, the door to the yeah, attic. He runs up in the attic and shuts the attic and pulls up the the ladder. And then she is like, we cut to her like spider manning it on the ceiling and she's just banging her head like like way too fast for any person to be able to do. Like on the, the door to the, the attic. It's really terrifying. Mm-hmm. And um, and eventually she goes quiet and Peter notices that the attic has been uh, decked out with candles. 
um, and uh, the body, the headless body is gone, and in its place is uh, a picture of himself with the eyes scratched out. Horrifying. Yeah. You can see the dust outline of where the body was, too. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Peter uh, notices that there are some naked cult members in the attic. Butt-ass naked. (laughs) Butt-ass naked cult members in the attic. And he screams and he freaks out and he looks up and sees his mother just sort of chilling, floating in the air. And she's got this, like, it was almost like piano wire. Yeah. It seemed like. And she's essentially sawing her neck back and forth, back and forth in the process of uh, decapitating herself. Yeah. And as a complete last resort, in the midst of all this chaos, Peter jumps out the window and falls into the garden where he is uh, briefly knocked unconscious. And then, (laughs) you want to take it home for us? So, the entire movie, there's been these little um, visual sort of like weird things that happen. Charlie sees them in the beginning. They're like these little flashes, almost like floaters in your eye or a glare from a TV, like flashing a light you know, on the wall, and you're like, oh, what's that? Um, and then later, um, before he smashes his face into a de- the desk, Peter sees them too, like these weird sort of just visual stimuli. Um, and I thought they were interesting because to me, they kind of mimic the way that um, a aura, a, a migraine aura, or um, a temporal lobe seizure, like the, the, the visuals look. Um, because that is again something that I have and it's like it reminded me of that so right so like it's you know playing back to this like it's in your head it's a mental thing you can explain these things away a little bit so we see it again this time though it is Peter's unconscious so we're seeing it objectively as the audience we're like okay it's real and it just (laughs) kind of (laughs) floops into his body um, and his eyes pop open and he sits up and he takes a second and then he just does this little sound that had that charlie had been doing the the entire first half of the movie these like annoying clocks like mm. he just clocks and like oh you know and his nose is broken right so like he's kind of like he's becoming charlie in a way like he's got her kind of very pointed shaped nose he's now clucking the way she does and he looks over in like one of the most lynchian scenes <laughs> i've seen in a while he watches the headless body of his mother just sort of levitate and float up into the treehouse. Like, it literally looked like a scene out of the Black Lodge. Yep. And then um, he's like, all right, I'll bite. Yeah, so he goes over. He He's like, all right, me too. So he goes over to the treehouse, and he goes up into the treehouse, and he gets up there. And I loved this entire sequence. This is good. Like, this the music stuff. was great. Like, the visuals in here basically... There's a bunch of... It's so crazy because, like... So there's a shrine to this Paymon fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Charlie's decapitated head is on top of the shrine. Because we see the head earlier in the film, but we don't see who picks it up. We just see a car pull up next to it and you're to assume right. it was, like, the, the 
morgue the people police. or the police, but no, it turns out it was these people. They pick up the head. So the head is decaying as well, but it's on the shrine with this crown to like Paimon. And then the dead body, the headless dead body of grandma and the headless dead body of mom are both bowing, like positioned in a bow in front of this shrine. But then also mom and grandma with their heads are both behind with all the um, na- butt-ass naked old people. But I think it old people. But they have their heads and they're they're themselves and they're bowing as well. Like it's crazy. Um, mm. And Peter's just like looking at them and looking at the shrine and like so freaking confused. And eventually, Grandma gets up. We don't see her because we are on Peter's face the rest of the shot while she's talking. But she gets up and she gets the crown and puts it on his head and she goes, "Hail, Paymon!" And um. He talks about, or I guess it was Joan who did it. Um, yeah, Joan crowns him. Yeah, crowns him. Says hail payment, and you know explains that because earlier in the movie Charlie has said that Grandma wanted her to be born a boy. A boy. Um, and basically what Joan says is that they've corrected Paymon's um, female form and given him a, a proper male body to inhabit. And now he can go do whatever it is he's going to do. And they just all go, hail payment, hail payment. And the scene cuts off. And it's just fucking wild. It's fucking wild. (laughs) So the biggest thing (coughs) that this movie did for me, besides make me wildly uncomfortable, and honestly a little bit depressed Mm -hmm. the next day, um, was that, you know, so it takes everything that you think you know, right, about it and flips it on its head, but it it willfully directs you to think the things that you are already inclined to think as a horror-goer. You know, it it presents you with the idea of mental illness, so you're thinking psychological terror, kind of like the witch, is it real, is it not real? But as soon as you're at that point is when it doubles down on the supernatural, and basically instead of psychological um uh variables being responsible for what somebody perceives as supernatural it is in fact supernatural events being responsible for what people perceive as a mental illness um which is you know a big flip on how it always is in horror films um you know it also flipped our our horror protagonist there is no real protagonist in this movie i mean you could say it's annie but after charlie dies there's no one you're really attached to or following like she was the one that we're like okay she's gonna be our our um reagan our that chick from the conjuring who was the main daughter who got attacked you know like that's who you think she is and she dies she gets her head just fucking lopped off she's actually not all that important Mm -hmm. um you know so it just yeah Another great way to subvert the trope and the expectations and, you know, in a very bold way. And I think, you know, because people were complaining that the first half of this movie was kind of slow. It was a slow burn, like, and it didn't get to the scares until, like, the last 15 minutes. But I think it's such a testament to what the first half of this film was doing that I personally... It's it's the work. It's the the build-up. I was, like, I was never fully convinced that something supernatural was going on. No. Because of the entire first hour and a half of the film, like, putting into my head that this family had really fucked up personal issues and like a history of mental illness and we see them their tension and their clashing so I was just like I I cannot believe that this is something supernatural is going on here and because all the way up until the point in which we get the quiet reveal of possessed 
Annie on the ceiling. Yeah. Well, oh no, I guess until he burst into flames. Yeah, I mean that was kind of up until that point. You can explain everything else away. Yeah. Essentially, as and connected to the mental illness explanation, you know, are they're they're doing this to themselves? They're they're seeing things, or you know, one of them is responsible. They don't know it. Blah blah blah. What have you? And then, bam. <laughs> yeah. Um. And it's God. It was a very uh, very good film. Yeah, it's very art house. Um, it's it's very it's it's very scary, but like scary is not the word that you should use to describe it. No. Like, if that makes sense? It's disturbing it's and unsettling. Disturbing. It's unsettling. It's unnerving. It's uncanny. Um, it's really weird. Um, and you feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and only partly because of the uh, more traditional horror elements are you made uncomfortable. Like a lot of it comes from the, the family drama aspect. And it reveals um, like how safe we all think we are, right? Like, or didn't realize that we felt in horror, right? Like horror is meant to disturb and upset. And like, we're kind of all very yes. safe in it because we can predict where these things will go. And we, we, we've seen all this before. And then this was like, no, like I'm going to make horror that scares horror fans. Like, you know, I just, you know, it was like Ari Aster just wanted to go there and be like, here's, here's what it really looks like when something's terrifying and horrifying, you know, everything else is child's play. Yeah. And And it's really a testament to him that, um, he was able to sort of like refashion and refresh so many um, parts of horror, like this, in in the larger sense, are, are kind of like when we're looking at what hereditary really ends up being. It's not that it's reinventing horror in any way, but it still feels really new and different and challenging because of what. Ari Aster does with old classic tropes, you yeah. know, and he just puts a, a new shine to them and a new twist to them. And while still doing like a lot of nods to, uh, you know, obviously like the exorcist and Rosemary's baby with the secret cult and what have you, but also like a lot of other classics too. Um, and it was impressive it's impressive stuff and god if tony collette wasn't just (laughs) tony collette's savage in this movie yeah no she and it's impressive considering the amount of crap she's done up until now that this might be like one of the biggest things on her resume just this is performance like is insane yeah, she and the role was was demanding, you know, like she had to be depressed and unhinged and near psychotic, but also like motherly and determined. And, and she starts out normal, like she starts out like a yeah, a typical, you know, 
mom who, you know, was taking care of her two teenage kids while, you know, doing her career things and, you know, didn't have a great relation. You know, like she very much is somebody that we've seen before and we expect. And we're like, okay, yeah, this is Tony Collette. Like, I recognize all this. And then by the end, you're like, you have one body there that doesn't have a head, but then you're over here as well. What is happening? You were just on the ceiling. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's wild. It's super wild. Um, and excellently well made uh, from score to to camera work uh, to the use of setting and lighting. Uh, I thought it was really excellent, especially for the scenes in the house yeah. and the uh, scenes that um, were later connected to or we find out that they're, they're dreams or that they're nightmares. Um, yeah, I love the shot of where right after Charlie's, where they realize what happened to Charlie when Tony Collette's like on the floor and she's screaming and crying. Uh, and Steve's with her and the camera just pans away and you hear her continuing to scream and it pans to Peter in the hallway who's just like half in shadow, like looking down. Like it's just such a gorgeous yes. little, little sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The thing though is, is as much as I appreciate this film, I do not want to see it again for a while. <laughs> I definitely need some time off. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I had a friend who like was like, oh, like I can go next weekend if you want to go see it again. And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I, I need to stay away from this for, for a and little it's bit. Because I think, it's because I think the film, you know, and definitely Tony Collette, but, but all the, all the performers too, they really make you feel what it's like to be these characters and be in this situation. And you feel what it's like to, to lose control or to feel like your mind going and you, when you're starting to question your sanity and you feel all of these really uncomfortable, icky, like deep family drama things. And you're like, I don't know that I want to like voluntarily feel this again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, and I was reading <laughs> some stuff like basically Alex. Oh my God. I keep like giving him fake names. Alex Wolf. Jesus Christ. <laughs> doing his name is paymon paymon the new pazuzu um alex wolf was saying that basically you know he got method with the character like just because of like the dark place he had to go with the character he like elected to kind of just be in character the whole time he was on set but he was saying specifically this car scene like they had to film it a couple times because they wanted to get various angles and shots and you know the typical stuff but like basically like he was so into it that, like, he would, like, sweat so much that they constantly had to cut to get him into new clothes because he was just kept sweating, like, <laughs> while he was doing this. <laughs> like, just from, like, everything that was going on and, like, the way that he was, like, just, you know, like, psyching himself out with the whole scene and, yeah. like, what was going on. He just was, they like, they would be like, cut, like, get him, get him out of clothes, <laughs> get him new clothes because <laughs> he was just sweating so bad. Um... And I was thinking that too, because it's normally it's one of those things you can say to yourself, like, oh, it's fake. Like, they're all okay. Like, I can look up a picture of Millie Shapiro right now, like, on the red carpet, and she's fine. And it's like, yes, she is. But at the same time, like, you know, these actors did have to, like, go there. And in some fashion, it did happen and did exist, you know, in in that way. So it's just like, oh. 
This is one of those yeah. things where it's like you have to you have to be a really good committed actor to do something like this. You do. And they were all great and they all went to really dark places. And I'm glad that you know, they're all getting this moment of recognition, especially Tony Collette, because I do think she is has a very good handle on her craft. Yeah. Um, and I think if the wrong person had had her role, Annie would have seemed too cartoonish and yeah. over the top. But I think she she nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, the, all the casting of this was really perfect. Um, especially Alex Wolf, who started out in the Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon and is now doing Oh, this. really? Yeah. He was huh. one of the two brothers in the Naked Brothers Band um, with his brother his older brother i guess yeah i guess it was his older brother um and now he's doing this so he's going places yeah he, he was very good yeah um yeah, i was very impressed with the whole thing oh yeah and how about like uh like you know we were talking a lot about everything with the scene of the accident and and how we don't we don't get confirmation or anything. We don't know that she was decapitated until like this long drawn out sequence of Peter coming home and going to bed and stuff or whatever. But just that moment, that tension where we hear Annie off screen saying she's going out and then we have to wait like 10 seconds. Cause we know what she's going to find. Yeah. And it, it was just like, I felt like I was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like those, devices that Aster uses were excellent and they were consistent and constant. Like there was no, there's no real moment in this movie where you get a chance to collect yourself. No, you have between the production presents credits and the reading of the obituary. (laughs) Those 10 seconds of black screen. You have to gather up all the emotional fortitude you have and, and be ready to expend most of it by the time the movie's over. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, That was, yeah, no, it's a wild fucking, and it's, and, oh, sorry. Well, it's like one of those things where people always say like, you know, this time they meet it when they say like, holy shit. Like, this is going to, yeah. you know, because a lot of people were saying, like, you know, go into this movie knowing that you're going to see things you will not be able to unsee. And, like, using all this heavy-handed language like that. And I was like, okay, whatever. What the fuck? And then I walked out and I was like, oh, my God. I can't yeah. unsee that whole movie. <laughs> not that I want to. I mean, like, it's a really good no. movie. But in the first, like, 12 to 24 hours after I saw it, I was, like, legitimately, like, like I was, like, I'm in a bad mood. Like, I am, like, like the next day, Saturday, I was, like, I'm, like, depressed a little bit. Down, like, and yeah. And it's going back to this movie. Like, and I can tell that, like, that's what caused it. And, you know, I, I was trying to, like, analyze the movie and write some stuff about it to try and, like, expel some of that. And then it kind of, like, forced me it's to hard relive to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because like when you were like you made when you were like Mel, tell him tell him what happened to to Charlie. I was like, oh, all How right, I? I guess I gotta prepare for this. Yeah, it's hard to talk about, not even just the the specific technical details, but just like more conceptually and philosophically about it. Like, yeah. I feel like we've done an okay job, but but there's damn. yeah, but damn. <laughs> But damn. Um, and it's 
one of the rare instances where I've seen a, uh, a horror movie like, you know, during opening weekend. I went on Friday. I'm really glad I went. I did end up going during the day. I, I uh, went at night. One, because it, it gave me time to process it where there was still daylight. Um, yeah, that was and my two, other problem. because I ended up having an amazing viewing experience. <laughs> that did. You made a friend. Shout um, out to Audrey if you're listening. I told her about the show. Audrey. Um, I did not. I was, but also, to, also I was next to Jeff and his wife. <sighs> That's right, Jeff and his wife. Uh, not as great as Aubrey. No, they were not. Um, but also because I had, and I think I can imagine this is the experience in a lot of viewings, the audience was perfectly in tune with the movie and everyone was sort of like got it and had the appropriate reactions like maybe not so 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 much if you're not seeing a slasher but like it can be dangerous to see a horror movie opening weekend because you get a lot of yeah screaming and laughing and the teenagers the 11 whatever but in my audience, at least, like, uh, there was, there were gasps and, and stuff, moments of silence, but it was all, like, shared yeah. in a, and in a way that I've never quite experienced before. There was um, somebody who said something in the bit where she, like, said to Peter, she was like, I thought, she was like, oh, I should have never had you, and, um... You know, you've got that moment of silence afterward. There was, like, someone said something, like, loud enough. And I forget what it was. It was something... Oh, so when she says, um, oh, yeah, like, I tried to miscarry you. And he goes, how? And there's that pause. This person literally, like, in the theater went, like, don't say it. Don't... <laughs> like, just so loud. <laughs> they were just like, oh, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. Don't say it. Because they were pulled in. Yeah, like, it was yeah. so funny. Like, just this person just right out loud in the entire theater was just like, oh, don't say it. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, though? They're right. Don't say it. They're right. Oh, but don't then you went it. and said it. I know. That was another big, another big turning point. Another mm -hmm. big <gasps> moment. Um, that you just yeah. did. I mean, after the accident, that's, you know, that's all bets are off. Yeah, you're like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. God, it's it's pure straight terror, this movie. It really is. Yeah. In a great wow. way, but in a way that, like, you know, you really need to be prepared for. Yeah. It's almost like I've seen a couple um, reviews and comments that have said it's like watching a panic attack. Yeah. Or like, a like, long, drawn-out like, panic attack. Yeah, it's like... The movie is a, yeah, one massive panic attack. Um, and you want to catch your breath and you're waiting for a moment, but there never is one. Yeah. Like I said, it's between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good way of putting it because, and I love when people conceptualize films that way. Like people pointed out a lot on like uh, Juan's films very much feel like being in a way, like somebody's nightmare um, in terms of, like, the style that he uses with, um, his camera work. So, yeah, like, no, that's it. That's perfectly it. This movie is, feels like being inside someone's panic attack. Um, and then you're like, am I about to have a panic attack? <laughs> just yeah, might. Because you, you kind of feel yourself going into shock yeah. at certain moments. 
Um, yeah, because you're thinking to yourself, you're like, okay, they're going to get there, like, right at the hospital, and it's going to be just in time, and then the mom's going to flip out on the son, and it's going to make everything that the daughter's going to do from now on, like, totally forgivable. You know, all the weird shit she's going to do when she's possessed nope. is going to be, like, because, you know, like, oh, like, she had a bad accident. Like, no, no, she's her, she's headless. She no longer has a nope. head. Yeah. No. Nope. But, like you said, we should have known. Yeah. Because what do we see the daughter do? She's messing with the heads of her yeah. dolls. What does she do to the bird? She cuts its head off. Yeah. And like, there was a great article on IndieWire about how A24 was just so clever with their um, promotion of this film to hide that plot twist. Um, yeah. Because this movie would not have been uh, as effective if we had gone, gone in knowing that. Um, no. And I hope that other studios and production companies take heed of that because we have been in this space recently where trailers reveal way too much. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to start scaling back on that, especially in the horror genre. The less we know as the audience going in, the better. Yeah. Work on a, work on a clever hook, stick with that, get us, get our butts in the seats and then wow us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a really good movie. Um, watch it with a puppy, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like a, some wine and a puppy. I don't know. <laughs> and a puppy. My viewing experience <laughs> a little better. I did, I did have access to drinks when I saw it, because I was at a, a, a movie theater restaurant, so I luckily had that going for me, but I could have used a puppy. Which, by the way, there was a fucking home. dog in this household. They had a dog that you saw yeah. once, and luckily nothing bad ever happened to the dog. But like once no. the dog showed up, I was don't like, you, "Don't you remember what happened to the dog at the very end when Peter gets up from the garden and he walks to go up to the treehouse? We dog? linger a moment in the yard, and there's the dog's dead body is in." Oh. I missed that. So something bad yeah. does happen to the dog. But I also so the didn't, dog didn't know there was a dog for 90% of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> until there was a dog. And then later I saw the um, the chew toy and I was like, oh, so I guess that really was a dog. Oh, all right. <laughs> like the dog was a weird late addition. Mm -hmm. um, I guess like she mentioned she's taking the dog out. Maybe that's why she was getting in the car. I think she said something about taking the dog out. I think when she finds Charlie's body, she says she's going to the, um, the she's going store? to get, she's going to get plywood. Yeah. For, maybe that's it. For work. Well, you know, so yeah, that's where we are kids. And when they say rated R on this movie, they mean rated R kids. I would maybe not. rated R. I would Which, not. There were like catty corner in the row behind me. I'm pretty sure. There was a family there, a couple that had brought their, like, adolescent children. Yeah, no. Like, no. I, if I were to guess, like, around 11 or 12. And I was like, no, this is not the movie. This is not this a family is, movie. Yeah. Like, I, and I understand. Kids, Especially like, given what it's about. Like, really? You're going to bring your whole family to see this? Yeah. Well, and, like, I understand, like, kids want to go see horror movies. And, like, when I was working at a bookstore, like, I had kids all the time who were, like, 12 years old and wanted me to recommend their first Stephen King novel, which I get. But it was, like, this is not the, the horror movie to make, like, your your first horror yeah. movie. 
this is, I don't, and I don't know, maybe they could have been, I guess I should give more credit. Like I, you know, grew up with horror, was deep into it and what have you, but this is pretty severe. This is pretty dark. Yeah. But then again, if the parents didn't know that, I don't know. It was opening day. Yeah. Well, hopefully they all right. Yeah. <laughs> They've had a week to process. No, they haven't. It's Monday. They've had four days. <laughs> it's been a really long weekend. It'll be a, a week by the time this episode goes up. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah, kids. So, yeah. So, that is a little um, synopsis of uh, Hereditary with... A little bit of analysis as well. Um, head to the internet for all the um, other deep symbolism and deep dive um, critical takes on the movie. They're fun and they're plentiful. We don't have time to get into all that here. Um, yeah. There's but, a lot of hot takes on the internet where this movie is concerned. So, yeah. Dive it's in. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, but yes, dive in and join the conversation. Be like Lindsay. Be like Lindsay. Get in touch with us. Talk to us about Hereditary. Connect with us on social media. Miss Mel, if you're kind enough, um, can you tell them how they can do all of this? Yes, getting I am kind enough. Well, if you want to be exactly like Lindsay, you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Lindsay is really good at following instructions because, as you know, there's a slight number variation at the end of that. Email. I have wondered. I have wondered how many emails we'll never be able to get to see because they're at the wrong email. So it's splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Um, for Twitter, it is splatterchatter666, uh, minus all the vowels. If that is too damn difficult for you, though, you can just search splatterchatter and we will pop right up. Instagram is splatterchatter666. Uh, Tumblr is splatterchatter.tumblr.com. Craig's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. Yes. And he yes. will hit you up with the Patreon info. Yes, I will. Because if you listen to our last episode, you know that we're starting to rake in the bucks on Patreon. <laughs> All one of them. <laughs> you start what's that expression? Start with whatever. You know what? The point is We make twelve bucks a year off our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting small and hoping to grow. Yeah. Now, if you want to be like our donor and uh, be involved in the show and contribute to the show, then you do want to head over to our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. While there, you can find uh, a bit about uh, the show, what, uh, what the show stands for, how it started, what we want to do with the show, some more information about myself and about Miss Mel. What are our relationships with horror? What drove us to do? What uh, drove to us to... <laughs> what drove us to madness? Um, to create the show and our pitch. Essentially why we want your monthly donations. Now, if you choose to contribute to the show, you can uh, donate at three different levels at the moment. You can pledge either $1, 5 or $10 a month to the show. That will make you either a Jason, a Freddy, or a Michael. Maybe someone should be a Michael out there in honor of the new trailer. Ooh. And there are different perks that come with 
with being Jason's, Freddy's, and Michael's, including a subscription to The Howler. That's the official Splatter Chatter monthly newsletter, including uh, uh, the horror Q&A perk, which would uh, let you submit a question to the show, uh, and we'll answer it at the top of the next episode, um, sort of a deep dive question. Um, it also potentially includes becoming a show programmer where you get to pick an entire topic or a topic for an entire episode, rather, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, something you've always wanted to discuss, a favorite movie, a favorite subgenre, a favorite scream, scream queen. Scream um, queen. Queen queen. What do you want to hear us talk about? What do you want the hot take about? Let us know um, if you're a Michael uh, patron and, uh, and we'll cover it. We'll, we'll tell you everything we got for you. Nice. So yes, head on over to once again, patreon.com slash ladder chatter six, six, six for all of that information, all of the information about the show and what we hope to do with your lovely pledges. All right. Yeah. I think that is going to about wrap up episode 45 then. Yeah. Um, we'll be coming at you with one more episode in June at the very end of the month. Um, will it be pride themed? Who's to say? Who's to say? Is everything not pride themed on Spotify? Everything not pride themed. Always be proud no matter what's going on. Oh, I forgot how I was going to tie in hereditary. I was going to talk about the whole. Uh, being in a male body, but is it Charlie that comes back in Peter's body? Because Joan addresses payment as both Charlie and payment. It's sort okay. of a trans, the I, you know, the trans. Inner, okay. The, yeah. I gotcha. The inner identity might not match the outer identity. There you go. Look at that. We yeah. made it work. There's a new LGBT demon <laughs> block. Step aside, Babadook. Wait, what? I, I was going to say, what was it? It was Babadook. LGBT. It's great, though, because he totally turned into such a gay icon. <gasps> he did. He showed up at Pride that year. And there was a lot His of... husband Pennywise. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. No, I love how things like that happen. Um, there was this great video from the CBC where this, like, woman was explaining to, like, circa like second or third graders like what lgbt was and what pride was and like at the end of it she like says to them she's trying to get them to say we're going to be allies so she's like what are we going to be and the one kid just goes gay icons (laughs) (laughs) and the other kid next to him he's like well i'm gonna be an ally but i don't know maybe one day i could be an icon i think i could do it like he took it very Amazing. Go for it, though, kids. Go for Be it. Be a gay icon. Yeah, because they did this whole bit on gay icons like Cher and Lady Gaga and Madonna. So this kid really latched on to becoming a gay icon. And then his friend was like, well, like, I'm the realist. Like, I'm going to be an ally. I could probably be a gay icon. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll get back to you. It was great. So there you go. Incredible. Gay icons. Incredible. All right, guys. So... Maybe look for a potentially Pride-themed episode next. Who knows? But the episode after that, that's two episodes from now, is going to be our Friday the 13th special. Coming back at you again. So all fun things to look for on the horizon. But until we meet again, my lovely hereditaryers, my lovely chatters, be sure to keep up the creep out there. And for now... Miss Mel and I will say au revoir 
Adios and Dasvadan. Is uh, someone without a name. You know, he tells us that his father changed the family name uh, frequently in his childhood to suit whatever was going on, you know, to suit their purposes of survival. So he sort of might, you know, Albert has this fluid identity, right, with with no order to it, whereas Michael's identity is tied very, very strictly to his family name Mm -hmm. and to how much that name carries and to what it means. And as we see their interactions throughout the story, we see order breaking down, right? Which is the larger theme of this story. And we see that symbolized in Michael, right? At the garden party, he removes his top hat and we never see him wear it again. You know, the top hat being a very pretty clear symbol of aristocratic privilege. After that, he wears a much wider hat similar to Albert's. as he's as he starts growing closer to Albert, you know, it's like call me Mike. You know, yeah. um, he goes out exploring on his own. He gets very dirty, uh, and it's all meant to be sort of like the breakdown of the old order, where chaos comes in. But interestingly, mm-hmm. at the end of all things. It's only Michael and Albert that sort of end the story in a place of, I think you used the word happiness earlier. Yeah. It's the closest Um, thing we get to a happy ending. It's the closest thing we get to a happy ending. And I'm thinking that, like, they almost, we almost end the story with them in a place of synthesis. Mm -hmm. Like, where through their relationship, there's a new order being born out of mm-hmm. chaos. Interesting. Yeah, that no, I can sense. totally see that. Because it's like, yeah, they are the only ones who get sort of this happy happy ending. Um, so it's like it is indicative of that sort of shift um, towards yeah. new order, newer things, progress, progressivism. I don't think it's a word. Progression is probably a better one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That works for me. Um, So I, yeah, so I sort of view their relationship as very much like a meditation on like um, founding myths and, and colonialism and emerging sexuality and chaos and order and nature and civilization, like Mm -hmm. all in one relationship. Um. That's just me. Yeah. Picnic and Angry Rock. (laughs) Picnic and Angry Rock. A lot to digest in six episodes. There is a lot to digest in six episodes. No, I feel like we should do at least a little bit of a discussion on the theme of time. Be careful, though. Because there is a exercise chapter that shall not be named. Yeah. What? Uh... I so, do love how they play with time in this, though. Yeah. The exercise chapter, included in the narrative or not, you can't deny that time and space don't apply around the rock. Yeah, for whatever reason. We'll For whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and 
the theme of time is very prevalent in the movie, a little bit less so in the miniseries. Um, but it, but it's still there. For instance, in the movie, right, there are clocks all over the school. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in Mrs. Appleyard's office, there's a constant ticking. And that ticking only stops at the end of the movie when we get the narration of what has happened to Mrs. Appleyard after her excursion to the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this theme plays a lot into the rock as its own character because the mini series is great because we get to know these characters a lot more. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the movie, this is not a movie you want to watch if you're looking for an in-depth character study, because you're only going to get hints and suggestions and just a little bit here and there because the main character in the movie is Hanging Rock. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> um, so it's interesting because they give an explanation, like a scientific explanation for it in the show. They mention that because everyone's watches don't work. And one of the police officers mentions that there's some sort of, which I don't think they would have known about in Victorian England, but whatever. Victorian times, we're not in England. <laughs> Um, but he mentions there's something about the magnetism, like the magnetic field around the rock, which is a thing, you know, there is magnetic fields and stuff. I have yet to, you know, I don't know if it happens so localized (laughs) as to be around an object because we've got a North and South Pole and that's pretty much it. But, you know, maybe this is part of the Victorian pseudoscience explanations but he basically tries to say like oh there's something about the magnetism in the area and the metal and it messes with clocks um which like you're willing to buy because it's like whatever that works sure um you know at the same time it does play into you know victorian colonizing stuff because it's like they don't know Mm -hmm. what the fuck is going on so yeah sure they'd be like oh yeah it's the magnets in the mountain are messing with your fancy victorian watches Um, so that makes sense. And then there's the mystical side where it's like, okay, clearly there's something going on here because when we do get kind of to the end and see kind of piece together as close as we're going to get to seeing what happens, you see that time is just not making sense at all because they're on the rock and there's people looking for them and, and Mrs. Appleyard is in the middle of climbing the rock and they're in the middle of their scenes back at the during the picnic and they like kind of almost hear Mrs. Appleyard even though that's months into the future and like all this other stuff so time is just a wish wash on the rock for whatever reason whether you want to explain it with pseudoscience with real science with kind of this theme of like colonizers can't possibly understand the native land that they're Uh that they're getting on no matter what like I thought that was such a great sequence where you just cut between the girls what the girls see kind of and how they kind of perceive their outside world where they're like oh that's weird what are those people doing down there and then Mrs. Appleyard coming up around the corner and they've got these tracking shots where they just sort of like cleverly like edit them to to make different people disappear from different shots um and the whole thing's just bizarre and I love it yes yeah uh- um, because 
what I don't think we've directly said is that you do not officially explicitly know what happened on the rock. Which I love. (laughs) Yeah. That is my number one thing. Don't fucking tell me what happened. Let me see agony forever. Let me debate it with people on Reddit. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure I said this back in episode one. Like, that is one of the great things about this story. You don't get a resolution. You get your ending, but you don't get a resolution. You don't get a hard and fast answer. Because in the end, that's not what the story is about. It's not about what happened to them. It's about how what happened affects the community around them. And it's so brilliant. Which was meant to be the point of Twin Peaks, but... Yes, it was. Sometimes things get in the way. Sometimes it's okay. It clearly rebounded. <laughs> yeah. Um, but don't worry. It, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it confused you even more. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it's just, it's so great. Like, I think this did such justice to something that you could so easily fuck up. Um, and now yeah, that Dormer did, did so great. And it's interesting because it's like, on the one hand, I do think Natalie Dormer and the character of Miss Appleyard still focus, which was traditionally allocated to Miranda. But I also think they played it in such a great way where she kind of like recognized Miranda as a threat of some sort. Um, <clears throat> so mm. it played That's a good well. One, yeah. Where it was like there was a kind of tug of war between them. Um, and, you know, ultimately Miranda won in in Miss Appleyard's in yeah. Miss Appleyard's world. Um so I just I think the whole thing played out so well and I think it was just such a great adaptation. And I had no idea that it was gonna be a thing until it was a thing. Nope. Just popped up and I said, oh, okay. Okay. Hey, how are you? Meanwhile they've been talking about the Dune adaptation from uh, the guy who did Arrival for years. <laughs> and the Netflix adaptation of um uh, Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Well, that is supposed to be Halloween of this year. Okay. I think. We've got a date. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, last that I heard. Great. I'm into it. Into it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Picking it hanging rock. Gosh. Um, very happy that, you know, this story that I love so much... Let me say it just one more time. My third favorite horror movie was Done Justice with a new adaptation of its source material. And I hope that either the show or this episode um, brings a lot of listeners back to the original film, to the novel. I'm actually, I just started rereading it this weekend because I couldn't get it out of my head after watching the show so I was I have yet to actually read the novel so good obviously I I don't I'll trade you your own copy I will trade you your own copy of The Martian (laughs) which is on my bookshelf over there (laughs) well this will be interesting because I have to give you your own copy of Who Fears Death which I haven't read yet Interesting. We've got a three-way trade going on. We have a three-way trade with Who Fears Death, The Martian, Picnic Ganging Rock. What a group. 
Yeah. <laughs> you read The Martian though, right? Yeah, no, I finished it never. a while ago. Yeah. 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 And yeah, then yeah, I yeah. watched the movie like 18 times because I hadn't seen the movie because I was like, yeah. I'm not going to see the movie until I read the book. Until you read the book. And it was just like, it's so, it's such a Mel story. Yeah. No, everyone was literally <laughs> saying, they're like, how have you not read The Martian? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, <laughs> You read the Martian, and then when so. I read the Martian, I was like, "Oh yeah, I get it." <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, this is this is my story. I, I wrote it. Um, it's entirely probable. Yeah, no, you don't know. You'll never know. Um, yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so picnic and hang rock. Excellent. I'm like really happy that we got to do a whole episode devoted yeah. to this Thanks basically so. we were waiting for this to happen so we could do a whole episode about picnic <laughs> it only took a year two almost two coming up on two in yeah. august yeah we were doing the math you're doing the math all right so miss mel now that we've wrapped up with picnic at hanging rock do you want to tell our lovely listeners where they can find us if they want get in touch with about picnic and hanging rock it is my time um you can first of all email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com you can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels if that is too difficult just search it in the search bar we will be the first thing that pops up you can find us on tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com you can find us on instagram at splatterchatter666 nothing because that's not how instagram works <laughs> it's just splatter chatter 666 um you can see craig's blog at splatter chatter 666.blogspot.com where i'm sure he will have more things to say about picnic and hanging rock if not um he's had a great post recently yeah. about um in conjunction with our witches podcast you can check out oh, thank you um, and he can give you information about how we can how you can give us your money <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, quick thing about the blog. I actually, a couple years ago, for an independent film company, I was writing a couple articles for them um, while they were working on a movie. And one, I wrote a review for them about Picnic and Hanging Rock. Um, this was actually... Um, who are who were our, friend, our friends that we miss so much? They emailed us and then we... Oh, that couple in Florida. Yes, you guys actually referenced this article when you emailed us. Um, that review that I wrote, Picnic and Hanging Rock, I will post on the blog once this episode is up, just so you guys can have some supplementary. It's I, essentially it's exactly everything I've said so far, and how much <laughs> I love this movie, how much I love the movie, and why I love the movie. Anyway, um, so look for that on the blog, but yes, as Miss Mel said, our Patreon page is live on our Patreon page. We're accepting, um, pledging donations at the one, five or $10 level. If you choose to pledge to us, we want to use your donate or your monthly donations to do a couple different things. We would love to get some more, um, official equipment. Uh, for recording purposes, so um, so that we're just a bit more legit. We would love to use your uh, your donations to help us in going to see um, new releases in horror, so that we can provide up to date reviews for you guys. And we would love to use your donations to eventually work up to a place where we can provide merch, merch, um, mainly because we want t shirts of ourselves. 
Yeah, we sure do. And, oh, and we would love to use your donations um, to work up towards attending one of the awesome uh, horror conventions that are held around the country every year um, just so we can be a part of this amazing community that exists around horror films. Now, if you choose to donate to donate to us and become a Patreon at the $1, 5 or $10 level, there's a couple different perks you could get. If you become a Jason subscriber at the $1 level, that gets you a subscription to The Howler, which is the official Splatter Chatter monthly newsletter. So In that one of you. <laughs> one of you is at that level. You're going to get it. That The first edition of The Howler is coming out in June of 2018. And in that newsletter, we have a couple of different things going on. Um, first and foremost is the horror picks of the month in film, TV, and literature. That is the picks from myself and Miss Mel. Mm -hmm. In that newsletter, you're also going to get um, additional horror headlines. What's going on in the horror community? We will tell you. You're also going to get the book club of the month selection. Now, if you choose to become a Freddy donor, that's $5 a month, you're going to get a subscription to the newsletter as well as horror Q&A. That means you, you can submit a question to us and we will answer it at the top of the most the next episode, the most you recent episode. You the top of the hour. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> and then I was like, nope, that's not right. Nope. Um, any question you have, something about horror that you've always wondered about, um, an actor, a director, a movement, a specific film, talk to us about it. We'll give you our expertise answer on the question. And if you choose to become a Michael donor, that means donating $10 a month to the show, You'll have all the perks from Jason and Freddie, plus you'll become a show programmer. That means you could get to pick a topic that Miss Mel and I will cover for an entire upcoming episode. There's a few restrictions on that, which you can find out more on the Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash chatter 666 Nice. Excellent. Woo! Got it all out there, kids. I got it all out there, kids. I got it all out there, kids. All right. Now, with that all out of the way, we want to wish you guys um, a very happy Pride. Mm -hmm. um, we will be at you guys, of course, in another two weeks with another episode. Um, we're not exactly sure what that's going to be. Maybe it'll be related to LGBT horror. Maybe it won't. We shall see. Um, but until we see you guys again, we want to remind you to keep up the creep. And until the next episode, we will say au revoir, adios. <laughs> <laughs>